is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. In today's episode, we're talking with A.J. Wentworth, the founder and chocolate maker for The Chocolate Conspiracy, a bean-to-bar chocolate company in Salt Lake City, Utah. The Chocolate Conspiracy makes a range of thoughtful inclusion bars using unroasted cacao and honey as a sweetener. A.J. loves craft beer in addition to craft chocolate and has worked with several SLC area breweries on a range of beer-infused chocolate bars, including the well-known Baba Black Lager Bar with Uinta's eponymous Schwartz Beer. During our conversation, A.J. and I discuss his partnerships with neighboring breweries, his process for infusing beer flavors into his bars, the burgeoning Salt Lake City beer and chocolate scenes, and his background in raw cuisine. only been to Utah once, 25 years ago, when I was a teenager. My family and I drove across the country to visit family in Arizona and spent several days near Zion Canyon in Utah. We hiked the Narrows, jumping off high rocks into pools of the Virgin River, and stayed in one of those weather-worn but busy single-story roadside hotels that sprang up near road trip destinations half a century ago or more, as much a part of the landscape as the geological features that led to these establishments. Twilight every evening would find me walking down to the desert creek behind the hotel to hang out with another teenager whose family was staying there. There's an alien beauty to the Utah landscape that is diametrically opposite the beauty of the verdant Midwest where I've lived most of my life. I recall Bill Watterson, the cartoonist who created the Calvin and Hobbes comic, saying he based the ethereal landscapes of alien planets that periodically made it into that strip on his memories of Utah. There is a moment just after sunset when the buttes and low mountains are blushed purple by the climbing dusk, and you wonder just where you've landed on this strange planet that a whole landscape can take on the color of a bruise. In the largest city in this beautiful state, A.J. Wentworth at the Chocolate Conspiracy is making some very good chocolate using principles he brought with him from his previous career as a raw food chef. A surprising number of craft chocolate makers call Salt Lake City home, including Ritual, who we heard from back in episode 21, Amano, and others. The city also has a growing craft beer scene, and AJ's relationship with many of those breweries has led to a line of unique beer-infused chocolate bars. The best known of these bars is made with Uinta Brewing's Baba Black Lager. This 5% dark lager is a Schwartz beer, a German lager style that proves dark beer can be as light and refreshing as pale beer. The beer was created as part of a homebrewing competition before being moved to the brewery's equipment, and the resulting collaboration between the winning homebrewer and Uinta went on to medal at the Great American Beer Festival, the country's largest and most prestigious beer competition annually. It then became one of Uinta's flagship beers. Since the success of his bar made with this iconic Utah lager, A.J. has worked with a diverse array of breweries and beer styles, including two bars that debuted in 2022. 
one made with a double IPA from Level Crossing, and one with a coffee cream ale from Ketos Brewing. I asked AJ how he got started working with breweries and the inspiration behind the Baba Bar. My old location, we used to be kind of right on the edge of downtown, and Fisher Beer moved in next door. And we've been doing things with breweries kind of back and forth, but never producing bars. So we've done events with Uinta. They had, they, they used to, they do this like bike pub crawl where the bike crawl always ends at Uinta. And so the first time we ever collaborated with Uinta, they just had me there as a vendor. And so at the end of the bike crawl, everyone got to come in and do a, do a little pub tour and then there was a bunch of local vendors so people could get lunch and get treats and come around and sample all these local goods. And that was probably 10 years ago, at least. And so over time, we've just kind of done collaborations with breweries in that regard, where we've done some kind of dessert or offering. Fisher, you know, they they moved in right around the corner from my old chocolate shop. So they, as they started developing, Fisher Beer is kind of one of the oldest breweries in Utah and then got revitalized. And now they're blowing up so they're a really cool brewery and that's when i started you know every like my lunch breaks or if i needed a moment i would go over and have a beer relax and then i'd go back over and start making more chocolate so we've dabbled with vodka and wine and whiskey and we've played with a lot of these things but we just never found the right flavor to come through in in our cacao at least and so but beer, beer we, was just kind of a perfect mix. We've also been involved with a lot of the local cheese companies. So with Fisher, what started happening is we ended up doing these beer, cheese, and chocolate pairings. So from there, it kind of evolved. And I love Uinta. They're one of the first breweries that I partnered with, in with just with chocolate and beer. And so, and I love the Baba Black Lager. It's one of my personal favorite beers. The moment it got cold, that was what I started drinking. It's it's like one of my favorite dark beers because it's that it's a light dark beer. It's easy to drink. They're organic. So it was kind of this kind of fun little lead into what we were doing anyways. So then we just started experimenting. We started playing with their beer and I don't know why they were the first one. It just was the flavor profile worked out. And then we just had this, it, we already had this established relationship with them. And so it was just kind of, it made sense. You mentioned you've used spirits and wine. You keep coming back to beer. What is it about beer that you think works really well from a sensory standpoint with chocolate? It just has so many relatable flavors. And honestly, wine's the same way. So like a lot of people feel that's kind of the main thing. People are like, oh, I love to sit down and have wine and chocolate. But wine and chocolate are so similar as far as their flavor profiles that I I find pairing wine and chocolate a lot harder because you have the same kind of tannic notes. You have the same kind of sharp bitter astringency where beer you can bounce you can pull those opposites easier i think i think you can find a really nice dark beer with a nice sweet chocolate or i feel like beer has more i, w- I can't say complexity because wine's complex but it has uh, just a different depth of flavor that you don't get out of wine where because wine is simply just grapes that have been fermented and have grown in different regions same with chocolate bar that's that's it's that that again that's the similarity with wine where i feel like beer there's so many variations and so many different hops and so many different styles of fermentation and so many styles of grain that you can use and so i feel like there's so many different flavors that you can pull out it's not just they're not just one layered and so i feel like with beer we've been able to 
to do more pairings and do, and it, it's, it's, it's easier almost in the sense like it, they combine better. There's not as much clash. It doesn't, doesn't ruin your palate as quickly. I found that like with wine and chocolate, it's just, it really, it really gets your palate hard and it's, it like it, there's it, a lot of acidity your, there when you're working with yep. wine, there's so much acidity. Yep. So there's just a lot of, it, it, it's, it's endless. That's kind of the thing I feel with, I mean, it, if I got more into wine, I do love wine, but if I got more into it, I think we would, we could figure it out. And we've done wine pairings. We've done whiskey pairings. We've, you know, we've done spirit pairings. I don't know. I'm just more, I just feel like with the chocolate and beer, it's just, it, it just works better. And sure. it's, it's, it's more fun for us, I guess. So obviously working with the liquid, you can't just add that into the chocolate making process. Can you share with us a little bit about the trial and error of creating a bar made with beer? Yeah. Our very first booze trial before beer, there's a a local distillery here, Sugar House Distillery, and we actually got one of their barrels. And so we tried to do like a barrel aged cacao. And for us, it just didn't work the way we wanted to. And I know, I know it works for a lot of people and a lot of, there's a ton of cool barrel aged stuff out there. Um, It just didn't work the way we wanted it to. We did a couple experiments with their spirits and it just didn't pull the flavors we wanted. It didn't absorb the the, the vodka like we wanted with the trial and error with beer we did a, a lot of things the first with fisher so fisher beer was the one that really kind of spurred the experimentation we didn't even really experiment with baba we started experimenting a ton with fisher beer because they were right around the corner the first thing they got me they gave me i got a, like a liquid concentrated hops and because <laughs> we were trying to do like hops and honey bar and that that shit was whack it was like this thick syrup it was crazy strong we've also tried to like we've done like a almost a beer caramel so we've reduced the beer and then we add the reduction into the the chocolate again it's still liquid but it's since it's like we have basically get rid of most of the water content so it's Mm -hmm. just like again beer syrup but again it didn't hold all the flavors so we've we've tried that we've also used just like powdered hops like kind of basically like the hops pellets that brewers use Mm well we powder those and then added that into the chocolate we found that over time it goes rancid you know i don't even know how we came to this i have kind of a, a raw cuisine background that's what i how i kind of got into food and so a lot of the stuff i focus on is raw and so this was kind of a concept of doing raw where you soak a lot of things so you soak a lot of your nuts and seeds to make them enzymatically active and then you know what you do is you strain them off and then you dry them and that way you still have dried nuts that have been cleaned and are enzymatically active and so that they kind of just peaked my brain a little. I was like, well, I can do that with the cocoa nibs. We can soak them. We can dehydrate them because that was already something I had been doing in, in my background. So it just kind of clicked. And we we tried it. And we actually, again, we didn't try it with beer first. There was the local vineyard down in Moab, Utah, that does a cherry wine. And we actually, the, our first bars, we did these cherry wine chocolate bars. And that was the best combination of wine we've ever done it was a beautiful bar we loved it we made these custom chocolate bars for them it was super cool and then like a year later the owner sold the vineyard and i have no idea what's going on down there now we've been trying to contact them it's been years but um that was our first 
how we figured it out was with this cherry wine and it, it just worked. All the flavors came through. We didn't have to add anything into the chocolate afterwards. So we're like, all right, let's try it with beer. And the first time we're like, okay, our favorite beer is Baba. And then we were doing small batches of Fisher beers that they do. It's called Citra Bomb Tom. We did one of their reds, one of their browns. So it was cool with Fisher because we could just go over and grab a growler and do some smaller test batches. So, you know, when I went, I'd just go grab like a 12 pack from you into well, Baba and we did a test batch. And out, out of all the beers we tried, Baba was the one that we were like, okay, this is the one we need to produce. And since we had a relationship with them, we're like, how, how do you guys feel about a collaboration? And I think one of the owners actually brought it up to us and he was the most excited about it. And so we started, we're like, is this something you want to do as far as co-branding, co-packaging? Do you want to like have your logo on our packaging? We market your bars, you market our chocolate. And he was all about it. So we kind of sat down and had like a formal meeting and we designed the packaging together. Um, he was super cool about it. We got to, I got to, you know, now I have a really good relationship with a ton of people at Uinta. So it's nice to go in and just, you know, know that, that they, they promote the product and they love it. And then we ended up focusing on developing the beer bars. That was kind of the thing that we wanted to do. We had, we have another, you know, our whole full line of bars. We had some other bars that were seasonal and we wanted to transition them into our regular line. And so as we did that, we developed the packaging, we changed the packaging for those. And then we developed the packaging for the, the Baba all at the same time. And it kind of all worked together. And we did the same with the, the Soul Rex and the coffee cream. They all kind of just happened at the same time. We actually got a local grant from Harmon's. Um, it's a grocery store here in, in Salt Lake City. They're a great grocery store. So our, we, we applied for the grant and the focus of the grant for us was to develop the beer bars. And Harmon's was the first one to pick up Black Lager all over. So they have 18 stores and it launched in all 18 stores. It launched in Uinta's Brewery. We did a big event with them. We did like a Valentine's Day beer, cheese and chocolate event. Again, we partnered with Beehive Cheese here in Utah. And so we did this fun event and got to launch the bar. Now it's just a stable. Now it's just, it's here and it's, it's not going anywhere. And so it's, it's one of our, it's one of my favorite beer bars that we produce right now. You mentioned the Solrex and the Coffee Cream Ale. Those were ones that came out recently. Tell me a little bit about yep. the breweries you worked with and the beers that went into that. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. The Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. 
If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. Yeah, of course. Again, we kind of have a, a, a old relationships with these breweries. I, I shouldn't say old. I'm not. It's not that old. Feels old. Feels like a lot of time. But um, you know, Keto's Brewery. I met the owner. And his name's Andrew. I met him at a birthday party of one of my really good friends. Um, we threw this. My buddy asked if we could throw the birthday party at my chocolate shop. And I was like, yeah, sure. So we throw this huge surprise party for his wife at the chocolate shop and they utilized the whole space um, and got it catered. And and I got to meet Andrew, who's the owner of Keto's Brewery. And Keto's is just right down the street from our shop. And so it was just, again, kind of this fun little thing. And he was all about it right away because he'd seen the Baba. He'd seen it on the store shelves and he was he was ready. He wanted bars right away. He's like, how do we do this? How do we get it going? And so we actually make custom bars for them that are that are in different packaging they're actually paper wrapped um so we did we've been doing a full line of bars for them for about two years so we do a blonde ale it's they call it big gay ale it's their pride beer they make every year so it's a blonde ale with um, hibiscus or blackberries depending on what they can get for the season and then proceeds go to uh the pride center here in utah so that's that's a fun little beer and it the the packaging's super bright and rainbowy and and when you pour the beer out because of the hibiscus it's pink so it's a, it's a really pretty beer. And when we were making that bar, we actually add extra hibiscus in to the beer. So it makes it even stronger. So you get this kind of Blondale hibiscus chocolate bar sort of flavor. So we do the Blondale, we do a coconut stout and then the coffee cream ale. So those, Andrew chose those beers. Those were the ones he wanted to feature. And so we started producing bars for them. It was really fun. We still do, uh, you know, so they order uh, every few months and we make those bars for them. And we chose, we said out of all of these, like we're going to make one that's going to be our packaging. We're going to co-brand it and it's going to go into Harmon's and it'll go into all the other stores. And I said, Andrew, which one do you want to do first? He said, let's do the coffee cream ale. So there's a local coffee company here. So they, they actually brew the beer with that coffee. And then we add a little bit of that same coffee in when we grind the chocolate. And Level Crossing, same kind of deal. Chris, who's the head brewer there, he has been using my cocoa nibs in his homebrew for years. Chris started winning some awards as a home brewer. He was he was doing really well. He's been brewing for 10, 12, 15 years, something like that. He partnered with the owner who, who owns Level Crossing now, and they they blew up. They have a beautiful brewery. And, you know, he knew that I was always doing stuff with chocolate and, and he chose that beer. So the Soul Rex, he chose that beer, the double IPA. Again, that was the one he wanted to see as a, as a chocolate bar. So we, we played with it and I love, and that's the thing is I love it. There's, we've worked with some other breweries and they've chosen beers that they think will work and it doesn't. And I'm like, this one doesn't work. And they're like, all right, let's try this one then. You know, so we've kind of bounced back and forth. We've done tests. There's a brewery here called Bohemian and I just, I can't find a beer for them. I love their beer, but none of their beer really works with the chocolate. And I would love it to because they're, they're, they're like known for their Pilsner. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to make a Pilsner bar, but it just doesn't, flavor yeah, just doesn't come tough. out the way it needs to. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really hard. There's another brewer here called Proper. And one of my employees used to work with Proper. He So he worked part-time for Proper, part-time for me. And then we got together. We did some events with them as well. So we did this. That, that bar is called Lay Effect. It's a Goza. And it's the it's brewed with um, passion fruit and guava. And it's amazing. And so that bar we did for a, a, an event. We did it like we, we made a really small batch for them. We made these cool labels for them. 
um, really fun project. And, but now that's going to be the next bar that's going to be in our line because it's one of our favorite ones that we've done. We sprinkle a little Hawaiian sea salt on the back of it. So it's got that, that salty, just like a goza should, you know, it's got that nice, but it has those fruity kind of tropical flavors in it. So that's, that's one of the next ones we're doing. We love proper. We've done a lot with proper again, know the owners, they're, they're Salt Lake locals. They've kind of blown up. One of the owners just kind of moved away and opened a new cider bar. So we're going to, I'm, I'm going to experiment with him doing some ciders now, now that we, we have the process kind of in place. Now I'm going to start playing more with more spirits where I'm going to jump back and do another collab with sugar house distillery. Now that we know, now that we've dialed it in and I think that we can make a pretty good, he does a really good rye whiskey. So we're going to, we're going to try and do a rye whiskey with, with, with sugar house distillery. So now that the process is dialed in and we know the flavors come out now, it's just a matter of finding out which, which beer, which spirit works best. What kind of flavors can we pull? What kind of flavors can we add? Because that's, I love doing inclusions. So that's another thing is if, if something has hibiscus or guava or pineapple, I, I want to be able to add some of those flavors in and just really punch up that fruitiness or, or sourness or whatever it is. And then usually you get the beer flavor kind of on that back end, those back notes, um, mm-hmm. kind of like the coffee cream ale. You know, we add in a little bit of that extra coffee and it just gives it a little more coffee punch. And then that beer flavor just comes kind of on the end. So with the Solrex, the double IPA that has some flavors that could potentially clash or overpower with chocolate. Was there a process of dialing that in to make sure that that played well with the other flavors? You know, not really. What, one thing we've noticed is the soak time and the dry, the dry time's the same for everything. Just as long as the beans are like hundred percent dry, they're fine. It doesn't really affect the flavor, the soaking time, depending on if we like really make sure that we we have to stir the beans every few days to make sure everything's like evenly soaked but what affects the flavor what i've noticed is our grind times and that's the same with any cacao it doesn't matter if it's a beer flavored or not so like our normal nibs if we grind for like three or four days there's still that like really kind of sharp banana um, astringency to it. And then if we let it grind for like up to nine days, that flavor kind of tones down because it's been sitting there churning and oxygenating for, for so long, it's basically breaking down the chemical compounds. It, it, the flavor notes drop off and become a little more nutty. And that, that sharp fruitiness kind of cuts down. And so with the double IPA, we found that kind of same thing where if we, if we do a short grind, you get a lot of that really bold hoppiness and it's, it's a pretty strong beer, but like you get that, that you get that alcohol taste right away. If, and, but that if we let it grind or we let it age after it's done grinding and let it sit, it, th- those flavors really meld and they, they don't clash. Less to do with how long it's in contact with the beer than what you're doing afterward to kind of tone those flavors down. Correct. When you're tasting these bars after the fact, do you feel like you can identify the flavor from the beer coming through directly or does it kind of alter a little bit in that process? No, I I can for sure. We've done it's it's funny we we did we did a ton of tests. There's a a, a brewery called Roja and we did again another event. We did it for an event. We we 
produced a bunch of bars for them. We did this fun event at Harmon's. It was this big beer and chocolate pairing, super fun. But we made all these bars. And then we when we ended up moving our chocolate shop, we had this box that got kind of jostled in the moving truck. And so all the flavors were mixed up and we had no idea. But they, they were just, foil, they were like the leftover bars from the event. So they were all jostled, but they were all paper. They were all just wrapped in foil. And so we got, once we moved, we opened them up. We're like, oh, like, damn, because it was like three or four different beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we laid them all out, we just went through and they were all, they were different colored foils. So we knew we could separate them. We just didn't label which colored <laughs> foil they were. So we, we separated them all, all by foil, we tasted them all, and we were able to tell which ones they were. What's the response been like to these beer bars? Uh, awesome. Awesome. The Baba is the Baba's our best beer bar seller, but obviously it's our oldest, but now it's uh, like, if I'm doing a market or even some of the holiday sales, you know, this last Christmas, I got people coming up and they're like, this is my favorite bar. I love this bar the most. So it's, it's been really cool. And all the breweries carry them in their brewery and their little, you know, storefront, which is awesome. I have people that don't even come buy them from me. They'll, they're like, Oh, I, I bought your bars over at Keto's or yeah, because they're just like they'll hit me up and be like, "Hey, can I can I buy these bars? Where can I find them?" And I'm like, "Find them at the brewery." And they're like, "Oh, cool! I'm going there tomorrow." Or you know, so it's yeah, people really really love it. So Level Crossings just up the street from Level Crossing is Saltfire Brewery, and the owner of Saltfire put together these local gift baskets for for Christmas and New Year's, and he bought a bunch of Level Crossings bars and Keto's bars to put in these gift baskets. And so it's cool to see they're like three blocks apart you know, on the same street. So I, I love, that's what I love about kind of the, the chocolate community here in Utah and the beer community here in Utah. Everyone supports each other. Everyone gets along. Everyone loves to try everyone's creations. And, you know, it was fun. It was fun that like the owner down the street from Level Crossing bought a bunch of Level Crossing's chocolate bars to put in a gift basket. You know, that was like, so now I'm chatting with him we're going to do a, he has a dirty chai stout. So that's going to be one of the new bars coming along. So again, it just, created new connection for me and we're gonna work on a new bar with with salt fire so that sounds awesome so you've mentioned a lot of these bars that you have in the works right now when can people look forward to being able to order some of these we'll be right back hey everyone final gravity issue four is now available in the bean to bar stool shop This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svetinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. You can order the new issue from our shop on beantobarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash beantobarstoolzines. Now, back to the episode. So uh, <laughs> we have we have a ton of them developed and ready to go. We just need to get the packaging done for them. 
So we're hoping this spring. It's funny, launching a bar in the spring is always hard because then people don't buy chocolate in the summer. So it's always it's a it's always a hard thing to do. That's what happened with the double IPA and the coffee cream as we launched them in spring. But it's just just cash flow for us, um, depending on how we can get the, the packaging done and then you know get them out out of the doors and and make sure we do proper promotion. We just opened our new facility, and so we've we've kind of sank a ton of money into this new space and getting the the new shop up and running. So we're, we're up and running. We're ready to go. We're, we're stoked. We made it for the holidays. We've been running for the last couple months, which was just, you know, we had our fingers crossed all the other like end of summer. Hopefully we'd get it done before holidays, but we, we opened and the shop's functional and running. So now we're just kind of going to get back on focusing on new product and bars. So I'm hoping we can launch two more this spring. That's the plan. So we're going to try and then aim for two more in the fall, but it's, again, it's always hard to launch a new product and kind of get it out there and, and get the traction for it going. But we might do just some small test batches and have them available and kind of just do a promotion on our website instead of trying to get them into the grocery stores. But so we'll see. So fingers crossed, like spring um, before it gets too warm. And if that doesn't happen, then it'll be like, we'll start getting everything done in, in like August and then they'll be ready for next season. So, so from what you've been saying and from what I've been looking at a little bit recently, it sounds like Salt Lake city has a pretty underrated beer scene. They got some fantastic breweries out there. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's blown It's been blowing up just for the last, I don't know, five, seven years, something like that. You know, like in the beginning, like it was, it was Uinta Brewery, Wasatch and Squatters. That's it. Those three brewers. And then like Red Rock and like, that was it. That was it. And now there's, there's like 17 new breweries in the last five years. Like Hoppers is up in Ogden and they're like, I mentioned proper there's Hopkins Brewery here in Salt Lake. There's, bohemian there's um there's a new one in hebrew i can't think of the name there's there yeah so they're just blowing up they're popping up everywhere tf tf is amazing tf's one i one i really want to collaborate with um we just haven't had the conversation yet but that That's, one's uh, templin family yep yeah yep. i've had i had their beer at a tasting a couple of years ago it was excellent yeah no i it, it's brilliant kevin templin's I, I think one of the one of the most brilliant brewers in in salt lake city i think his beer is some of the best beer produced sorry other brewers listening to this right now um, no <laughs> no he kills it and, but again that's the thing is all of these breweries have their own twist on things they all do it differently shades is another one shades does these really cool exotic flavors they're good breweries that's the thing is they're they are very underrated they're they're kind of we're all i feel like we're all kind of underdogs in utah it's funny it's like we're very but again the beer thing like utah is not known for its beer but it's becoming known for its beer and that same with chocolate we were never the we have the highest amount of bean to bar chocolate makers per capita hmm. in in salt, in salt lake city so it's just again uh, the, there's a ton of really good bean to bar chocolate makers here you and, and ritual and who else is there amano mill creek and solstice okay. we're kind of the those are the notable ones it just kind of got overlooked for so many years and i think the last few years as our city's grown that whole kind of revitalization has come back it's like coming back into the craft world and wanting to produce really high quality clean products you get that everywhere though that's i think it's just happening all across america right now is mm -hmm. that like every city you go and you can find a dope craft brewery and 
I think that's just, again, happened over these last 10, 15 years where we're finally seeing these kind of things pop up more and more. Yeah, pretty much like any city I go and I want to go look for the craft breweries. So let's back up and talk about how you got into (laughs) chocolate then. When and how did you get started making craft chocolate? Yeah. So my background, like I mentioned earlier, I was a a, kind of a a raw food chef. So my background is health and wellness. So I was a chef, not a not a classically trained chef. I was a raw vegan trained chef. And so I've worked in delis and juice bars. I've done a lot of catering. And so that's kind of how I got into the food realm. And when I was doing some of my training as a raw food chef, one of the chefs, it was this this old German lady named Gisela, and she was making chocolate by hand with raw cacao beans. And so, you know, because we didn't, at that time, we didn't cook anything. We didn't roast anything. Um, we would prepare everything using a dehydrator if we wanted to heat it or or just raw veggies and, and nuts and seeds and seaweeds and fruits and plants. And so she introduced me to the raw cocoa bean and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And so I didn't get introduced to cacao from the fine chocolate perspective of like being on a farm and showing like, Hey, this is raw cacao. I, I saw it from this like weird, very small lens of like, this is a superfood. And I was like, Oh, okay. But then as I started playing with food, as I was going after I kind of finished my raw food training, I went to um, New York and studied health and wellness. I went to a nutrition school and that, and on the side, that was kind of my, you know, my little hobby. Um, That was what would relieve my day is I would just go make chocolate at nights and I would, I'd start playing. And so that's where I really dabbled into chocolate. That's when I started getting into it. And as I started, once I started the company, I, I was living on the East coast, but I moved back to Utah. And once I came back to Utah, I started meeting some of the chocolate people in Utah, um, most notably Matt Caputo, who runs Caputo's Deli. Um, they have the largest selection of chocolate. Um, they have this, uh, basically on the West Coast, they have this huge chocolate wall. And so I, I, I remember taking my bars to Matt very first in the, you know, in the early, early days. And he was like, these suck. These are crap. He's like, this, he's like, this is not fine chocolate. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. Like it was, it was this like good, humbling, you know, experience to really get that from a fine, fine food taste perspective and so over the years i we got involved um there's a really cool guy here he he doesn't live here anymore but he started the utah chocolate society so there was like a there was like seven of us that were there in the very beginning of the the chocolate the utah chocolate society so we started tasting and sampling and and we would hold these events at monthly where we'd sit down and do these fun pairings and and that's where i really that's where i met art with a mono and you know i could sit down with matt and he could really critique me and i could listen to his his feedback and you know i could get i could get all these professionals feedbacks without you know there without judgment or without kind of like you know that haughtiness um it was it was nice to sit down and be like cool what what does this taste like? How do we make it better? How do we improve? And, you know, and I just kind of immersed myself in the bean to bar industry at that point, at that point, it was, I was just, I was, I knew I was doing it. I knew I wanted to do it. So I was sucked in. I couldn't, you know, so I just learned better equipment and I learned how to produce it better and how to make it taste better and different methods. And so over a couple of years, we, we really refined it. So the business, I started the business in 2009 
And I was, I'd say by like 2013 was finally when I like, we dialed it in, we figured it out and we were making better chocolate. And that's, I feel like when the company really started growing and that by that time we had finally moved to the location that was on third West around the corner from Fisher. And that's, we were there for seven and a seven, eight years, finally blossomed in that space. That's where we really grew the company. Um, we refined our packaging, we refined our production, we really refined our our products and then uh and then COVID hit you know so <laughs> we moved and we but again we we kind of refined it again now our new space the best thing about this new space is I've been able to take all these years of doing this all this and now like we we walked into the space before we moved in and we knew exactly where all the equipment could go we knew exactly the flow of everything and and I would say at this point finally like I think my product's the best it's been since conception so we're I think we're finally making some really really good products and the flavors are there and and you know we have this we have kind of a cult following as far as the fine chocolate world goes because it's we are different than a lot of fine chocolates and but yeah that's that's kind of how we got how I got rolling so so you have this background with raw ingredients. Are you using raw cacao or are you roasting? Yes. Nope. We're using raw cacao. So there is, and that's, uh, there's always, it's always funny calling it raw. There's, you you know, you'll have people, because it's not, it's not technically raw, but it is the most raw you can get when it comes to cacao beans. Sure. So people listening who are like, man, man, naysaying, naysaying. I, I get it. There's, there's fermentation. If there's, there is heat involved. Yes. So there's this natural enzymatic process during the, the fermentation that does heat up the cacao beans. To this point, most of the general consensus in the, in the fine chocolate world is we just call it unroasted cacao. Okay. I, I still call it raw because that's what it's been for me. That's my background. Like, unroasted and raw are pretty much the similar same thing to me you know like you get a raw cashew from the grocery store it was it, they used steam to get the the nut out of the shell so they still had to use heat but they didn't roast it so they call it raw so it's still unroasted so i, I don't know so there's a weird <laughs> there's some a lot of controversy about it out there but i just kind of i just kind of avoid a lot of that chat because i just don't care anymore so yeah we call it raw our beans our cacao beans we source from um a farming co-op in north central peru and it's really cool all the farmers actually own and operate their own farms so they grow and harvest the cacao themselves but they don't do any of the processing so they grow and harvest the cacao and then take it to a central processing facility where it's fermented it is then dried and you know dried and then cleaned and winnowed and some they do sell whole beans they sell cacao nibs they'll you know so we can you can get different versions of the the, the beans along the way what they do for us and a lot of people that ask when it comes to raws like what about e coli what about bacteria what essentially what the roast does is it kills a lot of that bacteria it develops flavor the roast serves for a, a few different purposes our beans actually go through a uv light treatment to help kill off any type of bacteria so even though our you know our beans are raw they are clean they're some of the cleanest beans that we get we and we just buy now we just buy the cocoa nibs so they're actually processed on the farm and they actually have another bean that they do that is lightly roasted and you can tell the difference between the ones that we buy and the ones that they slightly roast on the farm so they're they're some of the most raw nibs I've found without any kind of light roast. Most places that you go and you buy a raw cacao bean, typically it's been lightly roasted because on the farm, it's easier for them to process them that way. 
And in the interest of transparency, are you able to share the the name of who you're getting your beans from in Peru? It's um, so since it's a collection of farmers, the co-op, it's called like Agroflora, I think is what it's called. Um, and we I don't remember the, the co-op's name. I'd have to look it up. But we we source from Mother Jungle Herbs. So we're sourcing from Mother Jungle, but they they are the ones sourcing from the co-op. And yep. obviously you're you're checking out their what they're paying for the beans and all of that to to make sure everybody's taken care of along the way there. Yep. Yeah. They they give us a full transparency report every time. Um, we also get a COA, the certificate of analysis, on every lot that we get in. Again, there's no pesticides used. The farmers are getting paid above fair trade wages. It's really good. It's a really cool company. They cert everything certified organic, certified fair trade, and certified kosher. And you're using exclusively honey as a sweetener, right? Correct. That was, again, how I wanted, when I started producing chocolate, uh, I really wanted to make a chocolate without using refined sugar. So the whole the whole origination of the company was to, to do a raw cacao with raw honey, because at that time and in, in place, no one was doing it. And everyone I talked to basically said it was impossible. So I, that my, my little, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what I, I just have this brain where I'm like, are you sure it's impossible? <laughs> like, I, I think it can be done, you know? And so, and it, it is really hard. There's only like two other companies in the U S that uses honey and they're not, they're not very big, but they, they're doing, they're doing pretty well, but it's, it's basically the hardest way to make chocolate. Basically doing raw cacao and raw honey is basically the most, it's, it's the hardest way to do it. And we decided to do it <laughs> and we pulled it off. You know, again, like I said, it took, it took me years, but for me, raw honey, I wanted to produce a chocolate that didn't have any soy. It didn't have any refined sugar. It didn't have any dairy. And again, that was just kind of from my own background and I'm not, I'm not against sugar. I'm not against dairy. I love me some chocolate. I love fine chocolate. I love me milk chocolate, depending on where it comes from, you know? And so it was just something that that was kind of what we wanted to do. And I'm, I'm a kind of a honey nerd. I know like a lot, like that's one of the weird things that I collect. So I've got honey from all over the world. I've got a full cabinet. That's just, I, I eventually I had to start going through it because my wife was like, got too much honey lying around so we we started going through it eventually but you know people collect hot sauces people collect wine people collect i i was kind of a honey nerd and i i've kept bees i really love i really love the idea of supporting our, our pollinators and it was just a way again with chocolate you can't really put any local products in it unless you're using unless you're from hawaii or you're in South America, like here in Utah, there's not a lot we can do when it comes to adding in local products, unless you're, you know, really getting into a lot of the stone fruits that are growing here and, and getting kind of exotic. And one of our farmers is producing a really good chipotle pepper. So we we're going to start using his chipotle in our chipotle orange chocolate bar. So I'm like, cool, one more local product that we can throw in there. So where honey, we were, we've been sourcing local for, you know, the, the entire time we've been doing the business. And that was like one way that we could support farmers and support the honey, the honey producers. And that was, that was something that was like really dear to me is that I really wanted to make honey work because I just feel like it's, it's, it's one of those interesting foods that we, we need and we need our honeybees. 
AJ's Chocolate Bars made with Utah craft beers keep the focus on the chocolate, with the beers providing subtle accents that complement rather than overpower the main ingredient. The honey AJ uses to sweeten his bars helps to bolster the beer accents, particularly in the case of the double IPA bar made with Level Crossing Soul Rex double IPA, where the subtle honey replaces some of the gentle malt sweetness that undergirds a classic double IPA and balances the assertive hot bitterness of those beers. Keep an eye out for the upcoming beer bar releases AJ mentioned. I'll include them in my newsletter when they're released, so sign up for that after the episode. Thanks to AJ for coming on the show today, to Anna for the excellent music, as always, and to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Mm-hmm.